0: belong. Where do you belong? To whom do you belong? You recall what it feels like when you don't have a sense of belonging, that you're a part of something bigger than just yourself? That is a form of being in exile. There are many different ways that you can experience being an exile. You can, phys- you can experience it physically, you can also experience it spiritually. And today that is our focus here at Beatitudes Worship Podcast. We're going to be looking at what it's like to feel like an exile, not only physically, but especially spiritually. When you don't feel like you belong anymore, when you feel like you're this square peg trying to be pushed down in to this round hole. People are trying to smooth off your edges. And today, as usual, I am joined by the incredible, intelligent, and awake, <laughs> Janelle Taphorn.
1: Not necessarily in that order. Not in that order, huh?
0: <laughs> so did you have a good weekend?
1: I did, yeah. It was kind of busy. We got a new freezer.
0: <gasps> oh, That's exciting. That's exciting? Yeah. Just for the fun of it?
1: Yeah, and we got to go through and organize it, which is Uh, so great. I can now find stuff and not have to dig for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the little things.
0: It's the little things in life. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Enjoying the cooler mornings while they're still around.
1: Yes, although we have bright lights reminding us right now that it's hot in here.
0: Yes, most definitely. (laughs) So Janelle, if individuals would like to participate, either currently while we're live or at a later time, how do they do that?
1: Very easily. All right. You can get in contact live with us right now by going to Facebook Live or YouTube, and there's a chat function, and you can go ahead and type in anything that comes to mind, comments, questions, And I'm monitoring it, and we'll be able to answer it live on the air.
0: And if they ask you what kind of freezer you got?
1: That's classified information. Oh, okay, okay. And we're still waiting to see whether I should recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to send a comment afterwards, we love your comments. Please email them to media at beatitudeschurch.org. All right. Oh, and if you have a cell phone and you'd rather text your information to us, you can do so. And the number to do that is 480 389 4974. And we will also get your text and be able to answer it.
0: We have a a scripture passage today from the Hebrew Bible that talks about exiles.
1: This is from Jeremiah, so Old Testament.
0: Yes, sir. I mean, ma'am, ma'am. Sorry, sorry. Wow. Hey,
1: let's get it right.
0: Yes. You can tell I'm not quite awake.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who's having problems now? Jeremiah 29, 1 to 7 and 10 to 14. This is a letter, actually, to the exiles. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the (laughs) prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the artisans had all gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, Son of Shaphan, and to Gamara, son of Hekiah, whom Zedekiah, King of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon: Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile.
0: Before we transition into the monologue, I have a confession to make to Janelle. When I was looking at that scripture reading. Oh. I thought this would be a great form of entertainment to watch Janelle try to pronounce all these names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's what's behind this. Really, I did my best. Yeah, Are you, you did
0: actually, you did phenomenally. Nebuchadnezzar I
1: mean, that was, was the big one. Was that the big one? Yeah, but the I don't know, the Steph Chiffon.
0: Yeah, that's you know, it's probably one of the most unsettling times um, for me during church sometimes is is watching people try to pronounce the names Tri-
1: tripping over and it and
0: you did extremely well thank you so now we're going to transition into our monologue Everything, everything is unsettled. Whatever you thought was steady and predictable has now turned out to be alien and even dangerous. You can no longer interact with your family or friends or other members of your community face to face. Never mind hug or even touch them. Your routines and habits, they've been upended. And you face new deprivations, a reversal for which you were truly unprepared. Nor can you depend on those long-standing safety nets that would supposedly always be there for you. And as for strangers, oh my. You can't tell which ones could imperil your safety and who might offer assistance. Distance becomes the new norm. Sound familiar? That's a description of life for countless millions over the last year of this pandemic. And it also captures the daily experience from the very beginning of history of vast numbers of exiles and migrants as they discover how to survive a journey into the unknown. For example, many people do not know that before the mess that is currently gone, going on in the country Syria, Syria actually used to be very developed and a highly educated place. In fact, Syria was proudly among the countries with a strong or accessible higher education system. All of that prior to the war, because the war changed it all. Today, things are nothing like they used to be. Among the refugees who fled Syria, there are between 1,500 to 2,000 professors who are now exiles, who are now looking to establish a new career in one of the neighboring countries, not being able to neither go back home nor offer free, unbiased education. Now, not nearly to the same degree, we too can find ourselves in unfamiliar physical circumstances that at times leave us feeling like exiles. Things seem strange, unfamiliar. Uncertainty lies ahead and we move cautiously forward with a sense of fear and dread. Another form of exile can be spiritual, or even religious. Allow me to explain this with the help of the podcaster, David Ames, and his insights. Before the process of becoming a spiritual exile begins, one is secure in one's faith. The answers provided by the faith community and the sacred text or texts provide comfort and they they just feel true. Sure, there may be nagging questions, one or two of them, but ultimately, that, that's for the theologians debating up in their white towers. There may be some questions that are best left unasked and masked. Flat-out denial is not out of the question even. But why? Because life comes at you fast. Fast. At this point, something, in fact, anything can happen that makes you take a second look at some of your assumptions, your beliefs. Some deeply held doctrines might be invalidated. Something inside just doesn't quite feel right. The pat answers, now they sound pat. There has been a blip in the matrix for some the pre- precipitating events can be tragic the loss of a loved one or hurt caused by others even the spiritual community or a church for others it is the slow relentless grinding creep of doubt but something causes you to start reevaluating your beliefs For some, the deep need for truth that led them to religion is the exact need that leads to doubt. At this point in the journey, the impetus may be to double down. One might redouble their efforts to pray more, read scriptures more, rededicate oneself to to God or pursuing service to others with more fervor and dedication, or... One may simply give up and walk away from it all. So, what is one to do when they find themselves becoming or are spiritual exiles? Well, we have help. 600 years ago, before Jesus was born, there was a man who knew something about being in exile, both physically and spiritually, and what to do about it. His name? Jeremiah, he lived in a time of wrenching social change, not unlike unlike ours. When his nation was destroyed, when its leaders were swept away into exile beyond the Jordan River to a place called Babylon, Jeremiah inside felt keenly the pain of that exile, though he himself remained in Judah. He did not like what had happened. More than once, he tried to ignore it. He even sought to to run away from God. But God would not leave him alone. And he discovered the truth of which the poet Browning wrote, when the fight begins within oneself, one's worth something. And so out of that struggle, this painfully sensitive man came to some astonishing discoveries and in the event, wrote to the despairing exiles across the river in Babylon. He wrote of his discovery to the exiles on the other side of the river, and this is what he said. First, don't fight circumstances, use them. Or to repeat his precise words, Build houses, live in them, plant vineyards, tend them, take wives, have children. In other words, live there on the other side of the river and be at home even if you're not at home. For those of you experiencing spiritual exile, I'd like you to hear those words once again. Don't fight where you are instead accept and with your acceptance act be proactive proactive by taking steps such as one make a list make a list of all things that are causing you to spiritually doubt number two think about each item on that list And decide if that doubt has any validity. Number three, reverse the old believer's advice, which is to doubt your doubts, and instead flip it around and listen to or embrace your doubts. Number four, let your curiosity guide you. Investigate the things that you have been afraid or unwilling to consider, read, explore. Number five, take an inventory of your religious beliefs and determine which of these will continue to resonate and which of these you need to let go. And finally, number six, don't go it alone. Find a spiritual community that will listen to your questions, that will hear your doubts. And in return, they will share with you their journey. And by doing so, you will realize that while you may be spiritually in exile, you are not alone. And that takes us to the second insight that Jeremiah shared with those in Babylon. He said to them, you're not alone, God is with you, perhaps even in a way that is new and powerful. These words by Jeremiah, when we read them thousands of years later, we miss how revolutionary they truly were. He was introducing a new way of understanding and experiencing God. Jeremiah says to them, what what do you mean you have no nation to love, no temple in which to pray, no God to worship? Pure nonsense. You can live on the other side of the river quite as well as you did on this side of the river. And in fact, it's time you did so. Why? Because Jeremiah had discovered the human heart, and that love of nation is not attachment to real estate, but to an ideal. He discovered that you can can as well pray there in your heart as you used to back in the temple, and that God is no prisoner to geography. Again, this was a revolutionary change, a way of understanding God. From that moment on, God would no longer be confined geographically or only be experienced through priestly rituals. And it was this disclosure, this sharing by Jeremiah, that actually brought about two marvelous Hebrew inventions that came about while they were in exile. They invented the synagogue, forerunner of the Christian church, as a place of prayer and study in every village. And they created a simple prayer called the Kaddish, which is to be spoken whenever one worships and which in paraphrase simply says, I trust you, O God, whatever my lot may be and so today the same can be true for those of you experiencing a time of spiritual exile there can be hope something revolutionary can happen to you perhaps it's a new way of understanding the bible god humanity or even yourself, a way that enhances the quality of your life, a way that results in you feeling more love, concern, and compassion for yourself and in turn for others. I encourage you. I encourage you to begin this journey of finding a new spiritual place within yourself, where you can eventually find a sense of peace and wholeness. And then, perhaps in time, you will find a new spiritual community to call home.
1: Wow,
0: yeah, I owe you an apology, don't I?
1: Um, why?
0: Well, what happens is I send Janelle a a very, very rough draft of what I'm going to be doing on the monologue. <laughs> and then, right. the rest of the week, I kind of play with it. <laughs> and yesterday it took a whole turn. And so last night mm-hmm. at eight o'clock, and tomorrow yesterday was her day off. I sent her the final draft, and there were quite a few changes. So, Janelle, I apologize.
1: That's okay.
0: But the old one just didn't speak to me. <laughs> this this one did. This resonated. The more I, I was sat say. with it.
1: Existential crisis and
0: <laughs> religious
1: trauma and dark night of the soul. That's yes. a lot for 9 a.m. I need more <laughs> coffee. I really do. <laughs> but what you said was very important. Um, it reminds me of <laughs> 11 years ago, I went through a crisis, a physical crisis, and my mantra became embrace the suck. Wow. Which is
0: <laughs> so? This was a physical crisis that you you experienced. Yes. In your own physical being. Correct. And you took on the. What was the mantra again?
1: Embrace the suck. Explain. I heard this is from uh, military speak, so Marines often say that when they're in the middle of of a hopeless situation, mm. they are embrace the suck, mm. and that's what I did. But I have to say, it wasn't just the mantra. It was prayer. It was faith. So for me, when somebody says, well, you just need to have more faith right. when you're in exile. What does that mean exactly?
0: Well, I, I would back, a, back it up and, and say for you, mm-hmm. when you were going through this time of crisis. hmm you said you you relied on your faith. Yeah. So what is what did that mean for you? What did that give you? What did it provide for you?
1: It certainly took the loneliness of exile out of it. Okay. I wasn't alone, and there was a God that was with me. Right. So that, to me, is an intervening God. I'm experiencing God. I'm feeling God. He's intervening. But yet... <laughs> It wasn't without community Mm. that I was able... I couldn't just take that and be okay with it. I think I had to have the community around me too, thinking about that.
0: Yeah, I think what you were talking about is true for many people when they go through a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. For many individuals, it's a crisis can actually bring them closer to God. Yeah. And there are those individuals who a crisis can actually distance them from a God or change their idea of God. Mm -hmm. For example, if you have a benevolent, all-powerful God and something happens in your life and it doesn't unravel the way that you had hoped. Right. I mean, I am so thankful that it happened that you were able to recover from your crisis. Me too. <laughs> Otherwise I'd be sitting here all by myself.
1: Who's going to keep you in check?
0: Exactly. That's why I'm here. Exactly. So I think that was the that was the advantage for you. Yes. Is that you were able to find. But for some individuals who they can't find
1: mm-hmm. a
0: positive results. That's when it creates the crisis.
1: Right. Like the doubt, like, what are you going to do with it? You're, you're, everything is kind of the comfort, like what, what did the podcaster's name, what's his name? David Ames. David Ames. When everything is just crumbled. Right. I really like the six points that you made. Six steps that people can take. I love lists for one thing. So yay. Yay for lists. (laughs) But, (laughs) but really... Finding the community of people that admit that they have doubt, that's difficult. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, where, I mean, the internet, thank goodness, you can just Google uh, existential doubt help. Right. <laughs> there's probably a thousand things that'll come up. But what? really, that's what I like about um, Beatitudes.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think what one thing that I talked with a a professor about one time who Mm -hmm. did a lot of research in the area of what is called deconversion. Okay. Which is, can be anywhere, depending on how you define it, could be anywhere from accepting a change in one's beliefs but yet still remaining on the same ball field Yeah, versus actually going off into a totally different area. And that would mean no longer being one who believes and that ain't perhaps an atheist. Right. But one of the things he said is that when these doubts or these existential crises occur, mm-hmm. they normally happen while you're still within your community.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: You still, you still are with those right. that you care about. And that could be depending upon how long you've been in that community. Yeah. That could be a very small group of people or it could be a very extensive network. Yeah. What happens, though, is that as they have these doubts, they, some of them will actually try to, and perhaps some of you may have experienced this in your own life, is you'll maybe in a, as, at a dinner while you're out with coffee with someone, maybe even w- with one of the pastors, you would say, mm. this is my concern. You would wa- raise a question. You would raise a, a doubt. It's kind of like taking your your foot and sticking it in the water. Yeah. You know, your toe and and testing the temperature. And I think a lot of people do that when it comes to these spiritual questions or doubts. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If they find that the water is too cold, that they have a cold reception from others. Yes. They pull their toe out. Right. They're not going to dive in.
1: That's a pretty big, yeah, ask. Yeah. It's it's heresy in some (laughs) some respects.
0: And it changes perceptions.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: And so then at that point a decision has to be made. You either ignore those doubts, you ignore those questions, you set them aside, yeah. or you embrace them and embrace the suck.
1: Embrace the suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> it's still working for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, that's that's the hard part is to be okay, too, with the doubt. To not... To not actually get rid of the doubt, yeah. to sit with it and kind of marinate in it and just be okay with right. having that.
0: I kind of look at it, doubts for me, I kind of look at it as being um, Play-Doh. You have a, a can of Play-Doh.
1: Okay, what color is it?
0: What color you want it to be? Pink. Pink.
1: Bright neon pink.
0: Bright neon pink. Okay, so you have, <laughs> you have red Play-Doh and...
1: I want red play doh. <laughs>
0: and you take it out <laughs> and you take it out and let's imagine that those are your doubts. Okay. And you take it out and you play with it. And you create new shapes and
1: mm.
0: and new images. But it doesn't really form anything that you're comfortable with. Right. So then you take it and you put it back in the can, mm-hmm. put the lid back on. And
1: you grab the blue play-doh.
0: And set it on the shelf. <laughs> so- and you let it sit there for a while. Yeah. And then later on in life, it may be a day or two, it may be a year or two, mm-hmm. you come back to it. And I think that's yes. how we grow. It's, it's, a friend of mine told me one time, he said, Tony, you never can, you, I mean, I'm sorry, back it up. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink, to drink, right? right? But he said that to me in the context of when I was still a professor teaching. hmm he said, Tony, at times it feels like in your classes, you're taking your students by the nape of the neck and you're drowning them with this <laughs> new information. Yeah. And they're not ready for it.
1: Yeah, right.
0: And I think that's what where there's this sensitivity when it comes to to being, if you would, a spiritual exile. At Depending upon where you're at in life, it depends upon what you're willing to do next. I mean, some of those questions that we talked about, mm-hmm. some of them are just too scary.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking of Mother Teresa, and mm. she had a dark night of the soul.
0: It, that lasted seems to be a long a, a time. A long
1: time. And you think about that. I mean, she was so devoted. And, I mean, she's a nun. She's <laughs> Where do you go when when your whole world... God is gone. hmm I mean, she got out of it. You know, she came around, but I think she was definitely changed.
0: Yes. And I think that's one of the... That's a very interesting insight, Janelle, is that... I don't know if we ever completely come out of it. Because I think that's where a lot of us want to be, is... Back in that comfort zone,
1: yeah, right.
0: I don't know if that ever happens. I don't know, as long as you are curious and as long as you're willing to search, I wonder mm. if you ever are completely at home spiritually.
1: Maybe not.
0: does that, when you hear that when you that. hear that, how does that make you feel emotionally? How does that resonate with you within?
1: I like things to be certain.
0: I don't think you're unique.
1: So that scares me.
0: Yeah. Tell me me more. I want
1: to, at some point in my life, be able to say, okay, I got it. Yep. Yep. Check.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure you've done that with your husband. (laughs) Explain. I figured him out. I got him all figured out. Oh. I know who he is. I figured him out. and t- Tell me. Done. Please tell
1: me. I'm really trying hard to understand that.
0: <laughs> but think about how boring your, your relationship would be, not only with your husband, with your children, with everyone, mm-hmm. if you had them all figured out. And it's like, okay, if I say this, they're going to react this way. Oh, here we go again. And then it just, I mean, think about how much not knowing and not fully grasping another person, how much that makes life interesting. True. And so if that happens in our relationships with other people, why is it we feel this need to be so secure in knowing God or knowing what, is, what we ought to necessarily believe? Now, I, I think we should have beliefs, but I think there's mm-hmm. a tentativeness to them. A, a willingness to adapt and change that goes along with those beliefs?
1: Well, for me, I want answers. Why? I want answers. Why? I just do. I got to have black and white answers. I should have been a mathematician.
0: But what what is it about having the answer that resonates with you? Because I don't think you're unique. I think there are many people that are either watching this or listening to this, that, that agree with you. They want answers, especially when it has to do with the possibilities of, dare I say, eternal life.
1: Yeah. Uh, validating that. And and uh, <laughs> that's so important. I, I, it's sitting in that uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. I just don't.
0: How much of that is fear?
1: All of it. For sure.
0: Okay. So let's say this, that somehow at this very moment, Mm -hmm. um, God somehow revealed to you in a very convincing way Mm -hmm. that no matter what you did from this point on, Mm -hmm. you would be okay in your relationship with God. That God would see you right now on a scale of one to ten, meaning one, you're this low-life Bound to hell if you believe in hell. Yeah. Ten meaning you're just super, super good. Okay. And God looks at you and says, you're a ten.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No matter what you do, nothing's going to change that. Great. What happens to your fear? Goes away. What about your curiosity?
1: Butterflies and sunshine, Butterflies baby. and sunshine.
0: <laughs> but what happens, what happens then to your... What happens... To your curiosity, would you become less curious or more curious and willing to, to think about things differently and look at as as circumstances change and shift in your own life and in our world and our culture and science, would those changes allow you to then go back and those questions and doubts you had about some of your beliefs, would you be willing to explore them with more joy if you knew yes, that yeah for sure. So how much then is <clears throat> Christianity, and I perhaps other religions mm-hmm. is simply based on fear?
1: Oh, I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And yet in the New Testament it says that perfect love Mm-mm. casts out fear. Bingo. Right. Yeah. So why is it that these spiritual crises are motivated by fear, and we're not <laughs> willing to address that underlying, which is it's kind of like—I mean—I
1: just want to trusting everybody around me is is on the same page. Yeah, that's important too, but that's fear-based again. So.
0: Well, and ultimately, it starts with ourselves, right? I mean, we have yeah. to be able to trust ourselves. Um, we have to be able to accept ourselves, but and we
1: want an authority figure about that.
0: Well, don't we? No, I think it depends upon. I mean, physically, we all grow up, right? I mean, the, I think there are some diseases that allow people not to age physically, or they age too quickly, or something yes. like that. But for the for the vast majority of individuals, they physically will age, right? I wonder sometimes if we don't focus enough on emotionally aging.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And so Unless you're a parent, then that's that's all about parenting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the problem with parenting, however, is a lot of people are parenting from mm-hmm. a child state
1: mm-hmm.
0: rather than from a mature state. They're basically on the same level as the as the kid. Um, Emotional maturity just doesn't come with age. Hmm. It happens with time and with experience. And you emotionally mature to where the majority of the people are at in our society. To go beyond that means to be able to live without necessarily an authority figure. Because when you're a kid, you get emotional security of knowing Yes. What is right or wrong? Someone is going to tell you. Yes. But as we continue to emotionally mature, we either will stick at one place or mm-hmm. we will move beyond that and we will begin to live with more ambiguities, live more in the gray. I
1: don't think we like it. We might be doing that, but it.
0: I don't think, I don't know how much of us if are I like doing that. that. I don't know how, much, how many of us are really doing it.
1: Living in the gray? hmm I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the reasons when it comes especially to the spiritual realm is fear. We're afraid of getting it wrong.
1: There are it's, some people that are so confident in their faith. Yes. This is, yeah, not even a, there's no gray. Right. It's this, this
0: is it. And for that them. That
1: certainty. Wow. I f- want that certainty.
0: And for them, I applaud them. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And I would also tell them that if that certainty begins to go away, mm-hmm. that there's then an what? option. There's, a, there's other options. That there are people <laughs> that have experienced that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in my own life, I went from a very strong degree of right. confidence, of being right? Yeah. The right way to read the Bible, the right way to believe mm-hmm. about God, about Jesus, about humanity. I got it down. Yeah. Even got a master's degree that says I got it down.
1: Okay. So you were unstoppable, no fear.
0: But I had the questions and I had the doubts. You did. But I kept them to myself. Occasionally okay. I would ask the question. But I learned very quickly yeah. that that could create problems. <laughs> I remember one time as a professor, mm-hmm. I was called into the academic dean, and he said, "Tony, we like the idea that you ask people questions. We ask students <laughs> questions.
1: Right? It's academia." But, he,
0: but at the end, he said, "Give them the answer. Oh, give them the right answer.
1: The right
0: answer. Exactly. Wow. Because, and again, in a black and white world, yeah, that goes back to what you were saying. It gives them a sense of security of knowing, right, that." I have got the answers all figured out. Right. But we've missed out on the freedom to explore. And when we find these crises Mm -hmm. and they don't unfold like yours did. Yeah. That can leave a lot of people feeling like they're in exile, truly alone, not sure where the future is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where more and more individuals need to be willing to say, "I've been there. I am there."
1: Yeah, right. So what do we do with that? We invite you to be attitudes. Yay.
0: Yeah, I think even <laughs> that's one of the things that I think is that's one of the reasons why I, I like a variety of churches. Um depending upon where someone is at, yeah, that community is providing them support. It's working for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so for the community that sees things more in the black and white, right, they are providing an, an amazing service, yeah to our communities. They're giving people what they need want Confidence. and what they need. Yeah. But then there's other communities, on on the a large spectrum yeah that move have are in a different place
1: mm-hmm.
0: and allow more of the gray yeah and I think that's what is important to know is that when you are a spiritual exile
1: mm-hmm. that
0: you aren't alone
1: yes there are
0: other people that have gone through that I mean even just when I think about Jeremiah yeah I mean for Jeremiah, For him to say, look, God is not confined to a temple. Right. I mean, before, when they first entered into the land of Israel, according to the text, Mm -hmm. they had these different places of worship. Yeah. Well, one of the things that that creates is it creates a diverse beliefs. Yeah. And in, in turn, it can begin to separate people politically and create a sense of, of lack of unity. So one of the ways to to go and fix that is to say, God must be worshiped here.
1: Right. In this box.
0: Exactly. And so (laughs) we'll create this temple and this is where God will be worshiped. No place else is Mm -hmm. allowed. Yeah. Well, that was ingrained in them for hundreds of years. And then when they went to exile, all of a sudden they felt abandoned by God. Right. Jeremiah comes along and says, no, nah, not necessarily.
1: Right.
0: He talks about a new covenant being written in their heart.
1: Yeah.
0: A whole new <laughs> way of being able to experience God. I mean, that's revolutionary. And for some right. people, it was heresy. It's like, no, 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 no. Right. Right. And and why? Guess what happened? The majority won, and they went back. And what did they do? They built a temple again, right? (laughs) Right. Because well, that's
1: how we yeah you can't
0: you can't get it out. (laughs) It's still there. Right. But for some people, that resonated for them, like it did Jeremiah, and I think that's what we're trying to say here, is that when you're in spiritual exile, I mean, the easy thing to do. And perhaps for some of you, the the healthy thing to do is to literally walk away, maybe take a hiatus. Yeah. For some, they may come back. For others, they may not. Right. But for those who then are have made that choice to take a break, they can have the opportunity to explore. Yeah. And to realize that there are places out there where there are people who are or experiencing to different degrees yeah. what it's like to be a spiritual exile. That's all I got. What about you?
1: Well, there we go. We just solved <laughs> the existential crisis in what, 45 minutes? That's pretty good. Yeah,
0: I don't know if that we... That was certainty. Yay! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, I Well, the one thing I know I, I am certain of, and that, that is that? I am glad that you went through your physical crisis and that you came <laughs> out on the other side because ultimately, Janelle, as, as painful, I'm sure, as that was. Yes. Think about it, how it... It, it was
1: enlightening. Yeah, yeah.
0: It shaped and formed you in ways that...
1: Right. I'm. I'm, I'm very grateful it happened. Actually,
0: yeah. Yeah. You, you, like you said, you, uh, I think this would be a great way to end, would be with your motto, which is
1: Embrace the suck. Embrace it. Don't let it go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for having spent this time with us. I hope that somehow this gave you a sense of, of peace, a sense of, of belonging, in the, in the sense of realizing that you're not alone. And that's why Church of the Beatitudes continues to bring to you these worship podcasts because we believe this is a different way of perhaps exploring and looking at Christianity and spirituality. We understand that it's not for everyone. But for those of you who this resonates with, uh, take your time as you go through this process. And if you ever need an ear, if you ever need a sense of belonging to something that understands where you might be, I would encourage you to reach out uh, to a spiritual community, and perhaps that is Church of the Beatitudes. But wherever you are on that spiritual journey, please enjoy the rest of your day, enjoy your week, and stay safe out there.